All right, if you'll find your way back towards your seats, and at this time we will sing together and worship together. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory. cross has spoken, I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me his own, beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever, Jesus Christ, my living hope, oh hallelujah, Salvation in your name, Jesus Christ. 
where creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be magnified were the whole earth Echoing his eminence, his name would burst from sea to sky, from rivers to the mountain tops. We'd hear Christ be magnified. And oh,
Side. We are so thankful that you're here to worship with us. If this is your first time, or maybe your first time in a long time, uh, welcome. We are thrilled to have you. Uh, if, if this is your first time, a first time guest, would you please take a moment inside the bulletin as a QR code that you can scan. Uh, you can fill out some information about yourself, or uh, there's a connection card out there in the foyer. Um, there will be some ladies out there. Should have been some ladies when you came in. They'll be there when you leave, and uh, they would love to help you in any way uh, that they can to assist you. If you have any questions while you're here, don't hesitate um, to ask. We have several announcements that uh, we want to go over. Most of them are in the bulletin, so I want to encourage you to take a moment, uh, either now or when the service is over, and read through all the announcements so that you know what's going on. But there's a couple that are not in there uh, that I want to highlight. One of them is our annual cake auction is on Sunday night, May 1st at 6 p.m. Uh, I got to experience it for the first time last year, and it was a blast. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So um, we'll have a sign-up sheet available to you next week. Uh, if you're planning on uh, making a cake, just so we can kind of have an idea how, as to how many people are going to make cakes, uh, this is a fundraiser that we do every year to, to help our kids who are going to Century Kid and then our students who are going to Snowbird. And your students will be getting more information um, in, in Sunday school and, and with the youth about that. But here's what I want to encourage you. Uh, last year, some of these cakes go for, for a high amount. Uh, we're talking over $100. And, and some of you, right, you can't at this point spend $100 on a cake. And so you're like, well, is there really any point in coming? And I would say yes, because what I realized last year is there's a lot of small items that people will bring that you can buy for a dollar, $5, and, and all of that money adds up and it makes a difference. So even if you think, well, I can't spend a lot of money, I promise you will come, you will laugh, you will have fun, and if all you spend is $10, it'll be worth your night, it'll be worth, it'll, be, it'll mean something to our students and our kids. So May 1st, 6 p.m. that Sunday night, you want to be here. Then there's another announcement I want to mention. This will be in the bulletin next week, but ladies, we want you to put this on your calendars. It's Friday, May 13th. It is Friday the 13th. At 6 p.m., um, and, and the men are planning a night for you ladies. So this is a women's event. Uh, we have a, a, a guest speaker coming. Uh, her name is Susan Heck, and again, all this will be um, in the bulletin uh, next year, but she's been speaking for over 40 years, and so we're going to bring her in. We're going to provide food for you. Ladies, you don't have to do a thing. You just show up, and you just get to hear the Word of God taught. You get to build relationships with one another. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet out there, so please sign up. Uh, if you've been in, in the women's bathroom, you've already seen some, some information flyers. are going to be all around, so please sign up and be a part of that special night. I want to take a couple minutes, and I want us to focus in on our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Um, so we, we had some technical difficulties this morning. We had some last, last week, our main board went shot, and so Tripp was here last week, and he put in a smaller board and not as many channels, and so this morning, 
what we could figure out, it was either we show you the Annie Armstrong offering or the choir can sing with the CD. It was either or. We couldn't do both. We couldn't figure it out. Uh, and so we're going to let the choir sing with the CD. So because of that, I don't have a video for you uh, this morning. But that doesn't mean we can't spend some time praying for our missionaries. And um, so Annie Armstrong Easter offering, you see in the bulletin, our goal is $6,500. To this point, we've only raised 2660 So if you haven't given yet, I want to encourage you to give generously, sacrificially. This makes a difference here in North America. As we talked about last week, right, the world, the nations have come to America. A lot of unlost people who, who really have never heard the name of Jesus. I've shared this before. When I went to Japan, I met an 18-year-old named Hideki who had never heard the name of Jesus until he came to the States in college, the University of Oklahoma, 18 years old before he ever heard the name of Jesus. So those people are coming to the States having never heard the gospel, having never heard of Jesus. And so we're sending missionaries all across North America to tell them about Jesus. So we want to take a moment, spend some time in prayer. Um, so you do that right where you are. Pray for our North American missions. Pray how you can give um, and then do that. Envelopes are there in the pew. If you don't want to use an envelope, just write on your check. Make it out to Northside, but write for Annie Armstrong uh, in the memo. So spend some time in prayer, then I'll pray for us. Father, we praise you this morning for who you are. It's been good already today to be able to sing praise, to lift up, sing about the living hope that we have, that it's our desire that Christ will be magnified. We'll continue to sing in just a minute about the blood of Jesus. We thank you for that. Father, there's times that we come in here on Sunday mornings, and Lord, we come in, we're ready to worship. There's no distractions, there's no technical difficulties, there's no issues. Other times we come in like today, Lord, we try to scramble, trying to get things to work the right way. Lord, we forget to tell people that we're starting with baptism, or things just, just happen. We come in personally, we're distracted. Maybe there's an argument on the way, or maybe we're just burdened about things that are going on, and we walk into this place, and Satan wants to keep distracting us from focusing upon the glory of you. Father, the same is true for our missionaries. God, the work they're doing, it's not easy work. There are times in their life as they're full-time missionaries that things are going better than others, where they're seeing people come to faith in Jesus, they're seeing their church plant, grow and, and thrive, and then there are other times where they just see and feel the spiritual attack of Satan. And they're discouraged because maybe they don't see people responding in the way that they hope that they would. Father, we pray for them. We pray, God, whether they find themselves on the mountain or in the valley, that they would continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, God, you would allow them, that you would be generous and gracious, and you would allow them to see God, that you indeed are working for your glory and for their good. People need 
the Lord. And there are lost people all around us. God, open our eyes. Soften our hearts. Give us a heart and a love for them. We might see them one to Jesus. Jesus, you are prophet, you are priest, you are king. This morning we come to you because you intercede on our behalf. And the only thing that we can plead is not our righteousness, but the blood and the righteousness of Christ, which covers our sins. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship together. Jesus. 
Amen. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our children are going to make their way out for Children's Church. So our pre-K up through second grade. Everyone else, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And while we're making the transition, just to remind you, next week is Easter Sunday. So we have a couple different options, opportunities for you to worship Next weekend, we have Good Friday service at 7 p.m. That will be here uh, in the sanctuary. We have sunrise service. Sunrise is about 7.03, somewhere around there, but 7 a.m., Lord willing, and it's nice out there. We'll be out in the parking lot if for some reason it's raining, and yesterday it showed rain, today it shows sun, so it's all over the place. Um, If it's rainy, we'll be inside, but hopefully we'll be outside, and then obviously our Easter service will begin at 10.30 and we will not have Sunday school uh, next Sunday. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that as we worship together. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to focus on verse 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Would you please take a copy of God's Word and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, we pray right now that you would speak to our hearts. Spirit of the living God, if you do not move, if you do not, do not open eyes, if you do not, Lord, turn our hearts towards you and, and enable us to hear, and Father, this message will fall upon deaf ears. But Spirit, if you will move within us, if you will help us to hear, and then help us to respond, Lord, I pray that we'll leave here just in worship and adoration of the living God, who gave himself for us, dying in our place. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then the Apostle Paul says, and walk in love. The word walk implies a step-by-step, slow, steady process. It refers to the entire manner of our life. We are to walk, we are to live in a certain way. So as we think back to these five exhortations that we've spent like a month and a half on, slowly working our way through this book in Ephesians, right? these five exhortations are all relational. They all deal with relationships with one another. And, and so he's reminding us at the end of it that we're to walk in love, right? We're to walk in love. And, and so he says, right, walk in love, do this. And we think about how these exhortations, we are to glorify God, and we are to be concerned about the unity of His people. So he says, walk in love as Christ loved us. Christ, the Word says, loved us, so therefore we are to walk in love. Jesus is the supreme example of love. Therefore, we are to imitate Him. We are to imitate Him. Now, we're going to speak to this more In the coming weeks, for example, Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we're going to get there. We're going to zero in on what it looks like to walk in love. But this morning, I want to focus on the phrase, 
and He gave Himself up for us. This coming week, starting today, going through Easter Sunday, right in the liturgical church calendar, we call this Passion Week. And this week, you will focus your attention upon what Jesus did for you. Good Friday, focusing in on His death. Easter Sunday, focusing in on His resurrection. Today, I want to focus on who Jesus is. And as we do this, we're also going to see what He did for us, but primarily, who is Jesus? So, as I was contemplating on Jesus this week, and as I was thinking about this phrase, gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right, this is Old Testament language. Old Testament language. And so I began to think about how Jesus fulfilled right, the Old Testament. How the Old Testament prophecies are pointing to Jesus. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. This will be on the screen. For there is one God... There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus Christ is our mediator. He is our go-between. So you think about a mediator who mediates or intercedes in between two parties. So when you begin to study the Scriptures, you begin to read in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and continuing, what you quickly begin to see, getting into Exodus, Leviticus, is this. God is holy. God is holy. So this will be on the screen. We have a holy God, and what we also quickly learn, Genesis 3, is that though man is made in the image of God, man rebels against God, and so now you have sinful man. So here's the question that the Bible is ultimately going to answer. How can sinful men, sinful women, approach a holy God who will not allow sin in His presence? How can you and I, though made in the image of God, yet sin destroys us, wrecks us, how can we ever live in the presence of God? And the answer is we need a mediator. The only way for you and I to enter into the presence of God is through a mediator. And when you study the Old Testament, there are three major offices that God gives to the people of Israel. And each of these offices, in essence, is serving as a mediator between God and man. Those three offices in the Old Testament that God has given to Israel is the office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. When you study the Old Testament, you will see prophets, you will see priests, and you will see kings. So this morning, here's what, I, here's what I want us to see. That Jesus Christ fulfills all three of those offices. That Jesus Christ is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. This is the threefold office of Christ. So hang with me. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture. And I pray, as the Spirit works in you, that it will just lead us to worship Jesus Christ. Because we're going to think a lot this week about what He did, but who is He? Jesus is the prophet. He's the prophet. So think about a prophet, right? This will be on the screen. So one of the things that God does is He gives a prophet. And a prophet is a spokesman on behalf of God. So if you'll go to the next slide, 
uh, Jennifer. So, God, so the, the prophet is a spokesman of God. We'll go one more. A spokesman of God. So a prophet, God gives a prophet, and he is representing God speaking to man. They represent God. So Deuteronomy 18, 18 says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. Now this is important. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command you. So a prophet, in essence, is saying, thus saith the Lord. A prophet does not say, hey, this is what I think. This is what I'm declaring to you. A prophet sent by God, raised up by God, representing God, is saying, God has spoken to me. He's given me a word, and this is what he has said. Thus saith the Lord. Now, as you study the Old Testament, you will find many faithful prophets, but you will also find false prophets. And you will see where God is warning his people not to follow after false prophets, people who come in the name of God, but what they speak isn't really coming from God. So in the Old Testament, you have the role of prophet, somebody raised up by God, sent by God, who is representing God to the people. So when you come to the New Testament and you begin to see Jesus, you begin to see that Jesus is a prophet. Now he's far more than just a prophet, but he is a prophet. He's a better prophet. He's a true prophet. He's a faithful prophet. So here comes the scripture. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. Not a God. He was God. Jesus, the Lagos, is God. He is the Word. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the what? Prophets. God speaks to the people by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his what? Son. By his son. John chapter 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority. This is Jesus. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. Jesus is God. right? The word has become flesh and has dwelt among us. And Jesus as God is speaking what God would say. You consider the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't on the screen, but you consider the Sermon on the Mount. What you, what you read a lot in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus say this. You heard it said, but I say to you. Not you heard it said, thus saith the Lord. No, you heard it said, but now I say to you. Jesus can say that because he is God. He is God in the flesh. He is our prophet. You think about the Passion Week. You think about this week, the last days of Jesus prior to his crucifixion. Part of what a prophet did is foretelling. They would make prophecies that were to come true in the future. That's what Jesus does during his final days. He makes certain prophecies. For example, he predicts his death and resurrection. He predicts that Judas will betray him. He predicts that Peter will deny him. Jesus, as God, prophet, knows What's going to happen? But what he also does is forthtelling. A major part of a prophet's job was simply to tell the word of God. And you see Jesus doing this. You get into John 15, 16, 17. All of that teaching, when he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit, is taking place during Passion Week. He is teaching his disciples. He is preparing them for the coming Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, who will be poured out upon him. I think there's one more. Luke 24, 27 says this. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
Everything that you read about in the Old Testament is ultimately pointing to me. All the sacrifices, all the prophets, all the priests, all the kings, they're ultimately pointing to me. I am fulfilling all of that. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus, as God, has come to us and he says to us, this is who I am, so that we can know who God is. And it's been recorded and written and preserved for us through the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, so that we can know who God is. He is our prophet. But secondly, and this is where we'll zero in on Ephesians 5, he is our priest. In the Old Testament, prophets were the spokesmen for God. But priests did the exact opposite. So we'll go to the next slide. You see holy God, sinful man, one more. You see priest was a spokesman for the people. So the prophet would come to the people on behalf of God. Now God raises up priests who go to God on behalf of the people. So God would raise up a priest and they would offer sacrifices. They would offer up prayer. They would offer up praise. Now in the Old Testament, you will find faithful priests, honest priests, and then you will find dishonest, unfaithful priests who do not do as God has laid out for them in His Word. So we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and we read words like this, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. Jesus the Christ gave Himself up for us. Jesus is our great high priest. He's our great high priest. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Hebrews. We're going to look at several verses in Hebrews here over the next couple of minutes. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start there. And we're going to see that Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 5, and stick with me. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of who? Men in relation to God. That was the role of the priest. You drop down to verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So we see that Jesus, according to Hebrews, is our high priest. Now let's compare Jesus, the great high priest, to the priest of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the priests, and this will be on the screen, were temporary, and they were limited. Their time as priest was limited, it was temporary. You also see that the priests in the Old Testament, there were many priests over the years, and they were sinful. So Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, speaks about the priests of the Old Testament. The former priests were many in number. Why? Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Not shocking, they would die, just like people die today. And when they died, you needed another priest to step in their place, and they too eventually would die. Verse 27, he, about Jesus, has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. They had to offer them daily, and look what it says. First, for his own sins. So the priests of the Old Testament, when they would offer up these sacrifices, had to offer up sacrifice for their own sins. Why? Because they were sinful. They were sinful. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were offered on behalf of the people. They were daily. They were ongoing. They would offer up animal sacrifices, right? And it would culminate in the Day of Atonement. One day, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. One day a year, the Day of Atonement. Now you come to the New Testament. 
And it says Jesus has been appointed a priest. Now Jesus and his priesthood is vastly different than the priest in the Old Testament. For Jesus is permanent and he is eternal. Hebrews 7, 24. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Church, understand at this moment, Jesus is still the great high priest. And he is interceding on your behalf at this moment because he was killed and raised from the dead. He's alive and he continues to intercede for us. Jesus' priesthood, there's only one, and it is Jesus, and he is sinless. Hebrews 7, 26 and 27, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. When Jesus enters into the Holy of Holies, which is what Hebrews 9 teaches us, and he takes his blood, he does not first have to say, Father, this blood is to cover my sins. No, no, no. He's the sinless Lamb of God. His sins don't need to be covered. His blood is to cover our sins. Jesus' sacrifices that he offers on behalf of the people were once for all. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Aren't you thankful this morning that when you walked in here, you didn't have to walk in with some kind of animal ready to slaughter its blood on an altar? To give it over to me where I would have to do that. No, it says Jesus, once for all, offered up the sacrifice, and I love this, he sat down at the right hand of God. There's things you remember. There's things you remember hearing. And I remember hearing a preacher say one time, but Jesus sat down, not because he was tired, but because he was finished. Amen? The work is done. It was once for all. His body was given up. There's no more sacrificing Jesus on the cross. He laid down his life. He offered himself. Major difference between Jesus and the priests of the Old Testament. See, Hebrews 10, 4 tells us, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You realize, as you think back to the Old Testament, all those sacrifices they offered up really could never take away the sins of the people. So why were they doing it? Well, ultimately, it's because it's pointing to Jesus Christ. That priest, as the mediator, offering up this blood so there could be forgiveness of sins, but ultimately the forgiveness of their sins was pointing towards Jesus coming to forgive them. He offered himself. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 says, But as it is, he appeared once for all as the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifices of himself. He gave up his life. He sacrificed himself and it is an eternal propitiation it's an eternal propitiation he entered once for all hebrews 9 into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption so let's talk a little doctrine for a moment because it's really important that you and i get this right there's a doctrine and it's going to be on the screen because it's some big words It is called penal substitutionary atonement. P 
penal substitutionary atonement. Some of you, this is like the 50th time you've heard this. For some of you, it's the first time. You're like, what are you talking about? What does this mean? It's very important that we understand this. Let's start with the word atonement. When we use the word atonement, what do we mean? It's the work Christ did in his life and death to purchase our salvation. So when we talk about atonement, we are talking about what Jesus Christ did in his sinless life, in his sacrificial death on the cross, so that you and I could have atonement, so that we could be forgiven, so that he could purchase our salvation, so we could spend an eternity with him. Right? How does sinful people live in the presence of a holy God? The answer is through atonement. Jesus has atoned for our sins. But that atonement is penal. What do we mean by that? We mean that Jesus' sacrifice paid the just penalty for our sin. See, some people, when they think about the atonement, there's all sorts of theories. Some people think the reason Jesus died was to go before Satan and to say, Satan, now release these people. I've given my life, you must release them. That's not why Jesus died. Yes, in, in, in Jesus' death, Satan no longer has power over us. But if, if that's what you believe Jesus died for, was so Satan would have to release us, you're giving Satan way too much power. The reason Jesus died is because a just penalty was required for sin, for the wrath of God to be satisfied. The choir just sang about it. He took my place, right? He had to pay the penalty for sin. God's wrath had to be met. See, here's the reality. It's not, well, Jesus could have died or he could not have died. Either It could have gone either way. No, it's either Jesus dies or you die. Somebody's got to pay the penalty. The penalty has to be paid because God is holy and righteous and just. He can't turn the other way. Somebody's got to pay that penalty. So it's penal and it's substitutionary, meaning Jesus took my place. And it was voluntary, because Jesus says, or the, Paul says, the Word of God says, and Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He gave himself up. It wasn't taken from him. He voluntarily did it. He gave up his life for you. He died in your place. So here's the reality. You're going to stand before God one day, every single one of us. And when you stand there, your sin has to be paid for. Your sin, you're going to have to give an account for it. So either you can stand there and you can plead your own good deeds and your own good works and you can, you can take a shot and see how that works out for you. I can tell you it's not going to work too well because he's holy and you aren't. And unholy people in ourselves can't enter into the presence of a holy God. So you will be condemned in a place called hell. Or you can stand there and plead the blood of Jesus Christ who died in my place. On the cross, he bore the wrath and the penalty for sin that I deserved, and he took it in my place. Jesus is our great high priest. He walked into the heavenly of heavenlies with his blood and says, this is to cover the sins of Aaron Hornsby. And he continues, he continues at this very moment to intercede for Aaron Hornsby, pleading on my behalf. He is our priest and he laid down he gave himself up for us but also jesus is the king he's the king in the old testament the kings ruled over god's people as god's representatives 
They ruled over God's people as God's representative. So if you go a couple slides there, Jennifer, one more, there we go. Right, so you have a king. So God would raise up kings, right? You think of Saul, you think of David, you think of Solomon. Again, some of these kings, as you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, right? Some of these kings were godly kings, representing God faithfully, representing His Word faithfully. Some of them, not so much. They were ungodly kings, and it's laid out clearly for us in 1 and 2 Kings. Well, when you come to the New Testament, not only do you see that Jesus, Jesus fulfills the role of prophet, not only is Jesus our priest, but he is also our king. He's our king. So some scripture, Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? But they understood he's king, king of the Jews. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Today, right, in the liturgical church calendar, we recognize today, we declare today to be Palm Sunday. What happens on Palm Sunday? Well, you know the story, right? Jesus comes into town riding on the, uh, a colt, a, a donkey, right? And, and people are worshiping and people are declaring these things to him, right? So Luke chapter 19, verse 38 says this, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. Now, the people are shouting this. And the religious leaders tell Jesus, hey, rebuke your disciples. Now, if Jesus was not king, he would have rebuked his disciples. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. It's interesting, when you read the New Testament, other than Jesus traveling in boat, our, from our understanding, every, every time in Scripture, he's walking. Except on this day. He comes into town, and it's a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, which talks about the Messianic king coming into Jerusalem, right, riding on this colt, this donkey, this foal. This is what he does. It's intentional. Why? Because up until this moment, Jesus, if you will, has been secretive. Because he understood that if the word gets out that he's the Messiah, they're going to misinterpret it for an earthly king who's going to overthrow the Roman government. And that's not why Jesus came. But on this moment, as he's leading up to the last time when he's going to come into Jerusalem, where he's going to be crucified, he wants it known, I am the king. I'm the messianic king. And it is clear. Now, they may not understand the ramifications of it yet, but his disciples soon will. He is the king. He doesn't rebuke them. In the final days of Jesus, a book that looked at this last week, they write this. By this intentional symbolic action, Jesus will clearly communicate his kingship to the expectant crowds of Passover pilgrims by fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, that Israel's future king would come riding on the foal of a donkey and by copying Solomon's entrance into Jerusalem when he was declared king. And then they write this. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he could still have managed to live a long, happy, peaceful life. But his actions on Sunday set in motion a series of events that could result only in either his overthrow of the Romans and the current religious establishment or his brutal death. They understood what Jesus was doing, and he had to die. Because only Caesar could be king, not Jesus. But in fact, we know Jesus is king. 
Because in John 18, 36, Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Notice what he says, my kingdom. He's got a kingdom. He's a king, it's just not of this world. Ephesians chapter 1, 20 through 22, we talked about this months ago. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Revelation 19, 6 says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Church, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? And he is on the throne. He is prophet. He is priest. And he is king. Notice once again Ephesians 5 as we begin to wrap this up. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself. The eternal God in the flesh gave himself up for us. Now, contrast that with Ephesians 4 verse 19 where it says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of purity. This morning I say to you that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, has given himself up for you. What are you going to give yourself up to? Are you going to give yourself up to sensuality and immorality and, and sexuality, or are you going to give yourself to Christ? What are you going to give yourself to? Because notice what it says, Ephesians 5, verse 2, He gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The beginning of Leviticus, we read of five offerings that are given by God. The first three offerings are voluntary. The last two are mandatory. In the first three offerings, we read something similar to this, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering. So the first offering God gives to His people is the burnt offering. And it says this, A food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. A pleasing aroma. And now in Ephesians 5, it says that Jesus offers Himself up for us, and it is a fragrant offering. It is a pleasing aroma and sacrifice. God. John MacArthur writes, The pleasant smell of burning meat signified the sacrifice of obedience, which was pleasing to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I got a sensitive sniffer. Sometimes in, in pastoral work, that's good and bad. Like it's good, like last Saturday, right? We did the raising money for the Satterwhite family and the, 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 the pork master over here, David, man, he had it going out there, and you walk by that, and oh, man, it makes you hungry right now. Pleasing aroma. But I've been to hospital rooms, and I remember going into one person's house, and it took all I had to stay there not to run, not to lose everything, all the contents of my stomach because of the awful smell. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that when Jesus is crucified for us, gives himself up for us, it is a pleasing aroma lifted up to God. Romans 12 verse 1 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
Philippians 4.18 says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Here's what Paul's saying. You have sent gifts. They've come by the way of Epaphroditus. And then he says this about the gifts. They were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The reality is this morning, your life, what you do, how you give, how you live, it can be a pleasing aroma. That is offered up to God in worship to Him. Sacrifice. Offering. Ligon Duncan says, I want to live a life of sacrifice so that my life is a sweet aroma offered up to God in thanksgiving for the goodness that He's shown this hell-deserving sinner. So we enter into Passion Week as we will... Look closely at what Jesus has done for us through His death, burial, and resurrection. So we have seen this morning that He is prophet, He is priest, and He is king. The question for you is, how are you going to live your life in light of what He's done and who He is? Are you going to give yourselves up to the things of the world? Are you going to understand that Jesus Christ died in your place? And what you deserve is hell. But by God's grace... You can spend eternity with him because he sent his son Jesus to be your mediator. So your life, your prayers, will it be a sweet, pleasing aroma offered up to your God? Or will you turn your back to him and live how you want to live and get what you ultimately want, which is hell? Because what you want now is to live apart from God. And that's exactly what He will give you in hell. An eternity apart from Him. Or you can come to Him this morning and say, Jesus Christ, save me from hell. Save me from myself. I declare, as Ali declared, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Lord and Savior of my life. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, right now you see our hearts God, you see if our hearts are yielded to you or if they are living in opposition to you. Father, you see if the disposition of our spirits is one to say, Lord, your will be done, or God, if instead we're living for the things of this world and living for our will. Spirit of the living God, as we, this week, Passion Week, think about your triumphal entry as we think, God, about your last teaching as we think about You are washing the disciples' feet with you breaking bread with them and discussing and instituting the Lord's Supper. When we think about your death, when we think about your being beaten, when we think about your being mocked, when we think about your lying there in the grave and how hopeless they all must have felt. And then as we look forward to the hope, the living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that we would understand, God, this is all by grace in your mercy. None of us is saved because we're good enough or because we deserve it. None of us can change God in our own power. We are fully submissive to you, relying upon you. And Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would work in our hearts. So that we would confess our sin, repent of our sin. That we would yield ourselves fully to you. So that our lives, our words, our songs, will be a pleasing aroma to the God who rescued us from hell.
for your glory and your honor, we pray. Pray your will be done, Father, in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to worship together. The altar is open. If you want to come pray in response to what you have heard, I'll be here at the front. If you need to talk, if you need me to pray with you in any way, I'll be here at the front available for that. Let's sing together. walked, so I shall walk, held by your same unchanging love. Be still, my soul, oh, lift your voice and pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. How in that garden persisted I may never fully know the fearful weight of true obedience it was held by him alone what wondrous faith to bear that cross to bear my sin what wondrous love my hope was sure there my Savior prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. When I am lost, when I am broken, in the night of fear and doubt, still I will trust in my good Father. To one great King I bow As Jesus rose So I shall rise In ransom glory At the throne My heart restored With all your saints I sing Father, not my will But yours be As we go forth, our God and Father, lead us daily in the fight that all the world might see your glory and your name be lifted high. And in this name we overcome, for you shall see us safely. Now as your church, we lift our voice and pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And in this name, we overcome, for you shall see us safely home. Now as your church, we lift our voice and pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done.
Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Right, if you remain standing, just two quick announcements. Again, please read the bulletin, but... We do have a ministry leaders meeting today at 345. We're going to meet in the education building in one of those rooms. And then we have our kids, those going to camp, camp, kids camp meeting today as well at 430. You're going to meet in the sanctuary. So if you're going to camp, uh, kids, please come to that meeting, preferably you and your parents. Well, hopefully your parents will come as well. All right, Paul is the deacon of the week, so he's going to come and close us with a word of prayer. And we pray that you will join us next week. Uh, for our Easter worship, and then come back tonight as well as we do our activities. Lord, thank you for this chance to come and worship you in this house tonight and learn from Aaron's words about uh, how you're a prophet to your people. Thank you for uh, just the joy of watching Allie come and, and give her life to you. Pray that we all rem remember what it was like when we all did the same thing. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.